to throw, looking, deep padded, downfield, touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and on today's show, the draft preview continues. We're talking to John Ledyard of PewterReport.com to preview the edge position. He's going to break it down into tiers, tell us who the best fits in this defense are, the heaviest hands, best lateral agility for stunting and games, best day two value, the prototype for playing edge in this defense, all of that and a whole bunch more on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And as always, Drive Time is brought to you by AutoNation. We're not going to waste any time on this podcast. We have a lengthy interview with John Ledyard. Let's go ahead and jump right in. We talked all things defensive end, edge position, and this Dolphins defense on this edition of the Drive Time Draft Preview Podcast. And joining us now on the Drive Time Podcast, he covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the NFL Draft for PewterReport.com, also has a great podcast and live show there. He is John Ledyard. John, from one new Florida man to another new Florida man, welcome in. Thanks, man. I forgot about that. We're both kind of new to the lay of the land down here. Man, it is sweet. I'm not going to lie. I'm in the Tampa Bay area, obviously, but I can't get enough of it right now, man. I mean, I honestly don't know if I'm ever going to be able to convince my wife. (laughs) to leave and I'm not sure I'd ever want to at this point it's uh it's a great place to live Saturdays before home games when there's well this year I didn't travel but I, Saturdays before home games are sacred in the NFL because you don't you know you have that time off to yourself I would go to my pool at like around Thanksgiving time and just float and for like three hours I'm like I can't get enough of this this is like you said never going back to the Pacific Northwest again because we have like <laughs> three months where I can swim and now I've got basically 12 months where I can get in the yep. pool and get my tan on and and all that stuff I did want to ask you is there like one Florida man thing you've seen so far that blew your mind? Cause I had one early on in my, in my time down there. I'm wondering what yours might be. I mean, one thing is just the, the roads like blow my mind. I cannot believe <laughs> how just much of a free for all it is. I mean, first of all, you never see anybody pulled over everybody speeds, which everybody speeds in PA two where I'm from originally. But here it's like, there's for, there's hardly any speed limit signs. Like a PA, you got one all over the place. You got speed limit signs everywhere. In Florida, you have them so spaced out. You don't even if you didn't see one early, you don't know what the speed limit is half the time. And most people drive like it; and they never get in trouble. There's like no intersections or the inter. I mean, sorry, there's intersections. But there's no lights at the intersections. For uh, I mean, so people are literally pulling out between the intersections and then just turning whenever they can. It's a, just a madhouse on the road sometimes, even when traffic isn't bad. The lack of rules and structure is like very Florida man asked to me, even if it isn't centered around one individual. <laughs> it's it's funny it's out east because it really is the wild, wild west. Like I call it wacky races out there. It's basically just gun it and pray and, and see what happens because turn signals are completely optional down there. I'm, I'm back home in the northwest right now, but down in Florida, they are optional and, and you just kind of go with it and see what happens. And I, I got hit by someone, got rear-ended my first month down there. So Welcome to Florida, man. I'm, I'm, we're glad to have you in the state. A couple hours up north. And the reason you are in Florida is because you're covering a Super Bowl champion last year. What was that like, man? Covering a team that went all the way. And I, you had the, the good press box flex post on Twitter showing the picture from the press box. How was the season <laughs> covering a Super Bowl team for you? It was awesome um, for a lot of reasons, really. I covered the Steelers for years. And although obviously I always loved the Steelers and I enjoyed my time covering them, it is a lot 
they were a lot more difficult to cover. There was just, there's not the same transparency. You know, there's very much this hierarchy in the media realm, but also from the team to the media, there's not this, you know, relationship. And that doesn't mean like everything we say is in support of the team or anything like that, but there's just so little drama in Tampa Bay. And I love that. You know, I love the cohesiveness of, of the media all working together um, on, on, and just being part of that where you don't feel like, Oh, you're younger. You know, I'm, I'm 31 now, but you're younger. And like, you, you know, you're not, you, you have to do this, this, and this before we accept the fact that you're part of me, like just to know you're stepping into a realm where this team wants to be covered and they want a relationship with the media and they want to keep that relationship, you know, open door and, and they want to keep it in, in kind of a, a good place. Not so much that we just write positive things about them. Cause I'll write negative stuff too. But it's just like that. It's not this like superiority complex like there is with some other organizations that admittedly probably have reason to, to be on the high horse a little bit like Pittsburgh who's won a lot over the years. So that was a fun part of it for me personally, but also just covering a great team. I mean, uh, to watch the transformations that happened. I started in February of last year and Tom Brady was signed like a month later, a month and a half later from after I got uh, I was brought on board. And then it was Gronkowski and just kind of this whole run of, of moves during the year and then this amazing season that was kind of up and down a little bit. And then they got hot at the end and you knew something special could be happening once they started winning in the playoffs a little bit. And it was, it was a blast to be a part of it rarely comes together like that, that quickly. And so to be a part of something like that and to be able to be down here, we actually moved down to Tampa Bay during their bye week Remember they haven't lost <laughs> since that point. So we are eight. No down here. I've been to three. I think I covered three or four games live at the stadium. Uh, this year and, and they won all of them obviously since been down here. So a lot of pressure on us going into next year for sure to keep the streak intact. But right now they've all been victory Mondays for the Ledgers in Tampa Bay. Yeah. I, I had uh, Tampa Bay Trey his you know, the fame name he was on the podcast earlier this week and, and he was, I talked to him about rooting for a team that, that won the Super Bowl, And I told him, you know, I'll be in the press box for these dolphins games. And I had a joke for a long time that the dolphins had this program where people that wrote for, for fan sites could come down and cover a couple of games every year. And I took advantage of that. And I was, I think four and at one point in the press box. And I was telling Trey, one of those games was the Miami miracle where I couldn't contain it. And I told him if it's a super bowl that I'm covering, there's no chance I'm going to be able to follow the press box rules. So we will see how that goes. But you mentioned, you know, the, the bucks last year gave you ba- basically 12 months of great content. Cause you sign a player. That's good content for you. You have the draft. That's obviously great content. We saw that here in Miami as well. Boy, was I busy last offseason with all those free agent acquisitions and all those draft picks. And that's where we have you on here for this podcast today, John, to talk about another position going into this draft that could be an area of focus for this Dolphins team, the defensive line, particularly at the edge position. You and I spoke offline that they loaded up on the interior defensive line and have some guys that play a little bit of that big, heavy edge like you had mentioned to me offline. Fans haven't heard that yet, but that's neither here nor there. But I do want to get into this edge position and, and maybe just first before we get to the Dolphins aspect, establish a baseline for when you're looking at edge players on tape. Like, what is a, a trait or two that you have to see for you to get excited about that player? For me, I always start with pass rush because if you, and I, that might be a little bit different actually than where Miami starts. Like, sure. I don't know that they all, you know, with all their guys that they start there, and that's fine. But for me, it's always I start with pass rush and I say to myself, I, I, Look at four pillars. I call them the four pillars of pass rush athleticism because I'm a nerd. And I call uh, it starts with burst off the ball. Your first two steps. Can you get off the ball quickly, timely fashion? Can you do it on a consistent basis? Could be snap timing. I don't really care as long as you're off the ball quickly and you can do it consistently. 
And so are you explosive, basically? Are you fast? Do you carry that speed up the arc? doesn't have to be fast over 40 yards, but over, yeah, that five to 10 yards that you need to cover, can you maintain your speed? And then can you go to the third pillar of athleticism for pass rushers is bend, flexibility. Can you carry that speed around the outside hip of the offensive tackle? And then the last one will be change of direction just because I think you have to be able to then alter off of that path. So the primary path for pass rushers where I want to see them win is around the outside hip of the offensive tackle. If you can do that, it sets up your speed to power game. It sets up your speed counter game and your ability to get inside guys sets up the rest of the arsenal as a pass rusher. But I got to know that you can do that burst off the ball, speed up the arc, bend and flexibility at the top of the arc, and then change a direction. Which of those traits are you strong in? Are you strong in all of them? You're probably going to be a really good prospect. If you're only strong in one of them, can do what other things do you have in your game to make it work? Can you still make it work with that skill set? If you're explosive, but you can't bend, well, that's good. That's okay. You can still win the speed to power. You can definitely counter inside because you still threaten up the arc, even if you're not the bendiest dude. So explosiveness is the most important thing because of that. If you're bendy, but not explosive, it's a little bit harder because you're not going to be at the edge and be at that point where you need to bend very often unless a guy has a bad pass set. So it really kind of depends on what traits you offer and then how well you can work around them with the additional skills that you might have as a rusher. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the Dolphins might have some different preferences in terms of the type of player they look at. And that's, I'm sure, can be, you know, accounted for across all 32 organizations. But we've seen this defense, and I've talked about it on the podcast many, many times, you know, Willie McGinnis, you know, left the Patriots in his prime. Richard Seymour left the Patriots in his prime. Chandler Jones, Trey Flowers went to the Lions in free agency. They just didn't always place that priority on the guy that could consistently win the one-on-one pass rush situations. And we saw last year this Dolphins defense created pressure through the scheme en route to a top 10 sack defense, the number one takeaway defense, number one third down defense, and number six scoring defense in the National Football League. And to continue that thought, John, in terms of what the Dolphins defense does, I mean, they loaded up on the defensive tackle position. You know, Zach Sealer and Christian Wilkins can both play some of that heavy end uh, in this defense. Adam Butler has that explosive explosiveness on the interior off the line. You talked about Shaq Lawson gets traded to Houston. Emmanuel Ogba is still here, and we had him on a podcast a while back talking about some of the things that you just mentioned with the pass rush game. And so this is a defense that calls a lot of dime defense. It's very linebacker influenced and guys that can play multiple spots. So when you think about that, How much different do you view this class in terms of guys that might fit the mold of the big heavy edge, the guy with the heavy hands, the guy that maybe can condense inside, but also maybe work outside and stand up as a linebacker. Is this a good class for the the versatile multiple guys like that, that Miami might covet? It actually is a pretty good class for that, especially because when you're talking about Miami, just with what you described, the skill sets that Miami typically looks for are often not they don't have to be first round guys for them to be interested in it. In fact, I would say that they're probably less likely to take those types of players early than some other teams, maybe that rely on pass rush or four man pass rush or things like that to get home or individuals, guys that can win one-on-one teams that really rely on that. They're going to prioritize those positions early. Whereas Miami, they can wait kind of get in the sweet spot, right? And like get guys who other people might not have that high on their board, but fit exactly what Miami wants to do. And so there are players like that in this class, both in my edge rankings, but also in my interior defensive line rankings that are kind of like hybrid types of players or could be hybrid types of players. I'll mention two of them quickly in terms of the heavy edge type of role. One of them is Peyton Turner from Houston, who actually just worked out on Friday at his pro day, had an unbelievable workout. He's almost 270 pounds. He has over 35 inch arms 
and he still managed to get a six seven three cone, which three cone just denotes bend and flexibility. I think it's one of the most important. Um, it's one of the most important workout results for edge defenders because it directly translates to tape, right? Can you turn in space basically like that? Um, like that you have to do running a loop or things like that. So, um, I, so I love that, um, that he's able to bring those things to the table. You see him on tape too, very physical, very violent. He does play with a little bit of high pads. He's not quite as technically clean, uh, as you might see some guys that, that, that those Patriots style defenses, you know, the, the, that Belichick umbrella has kind of prioritized over the years, but he is very violent. He's very physical. And the other unique thing about him is he's played inside of Houston early on in his career, still kicks inside occasionally for Houston, but he plays from a two point stance and a three point stance outside the tackle which is kind of another rare thing for a guy his size. You've even seen him drop a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit. And I think he's way more explosive from a three-point stance, but if you can correct his balance and some of his things pre-snap, he's just kind of like leaning all over the place a little bit. He kind of very Marcus Davenport-like, if you remember Davenport yeah. from a few years ago. He just couldn't get quite comfortable, like ants in his pants before the snap <laughs> from a two-point stance. But from a three-point stance with his hand down, he's really explosive. And I don't think that people have talked enough about how quick he is off the ball because a lot of time he's in that two point stance. So he, one of those players, you can just do a lot of different stuff with him. I think he could play the heavy edge, but also late in games. If you needed a pass rusher, if you needed a guy to kick inside, if you needed another guy on the edge and you were just looking, who's my two best pass rushers. I just need them right now. Scheme scheme. Be damned. Like, I don't care about that right now. I just want my two best pass rushers. He's able to be on the field in those situations too. So Fun guy that gives you a, a little bit of everything. I think it could be a fit. The other guy is Oso Digazua from UCLA. More of an interior player at UCLA. Played four eye, played three, played zero, played one. I mean, all over the place in there. Yes, you'd see him outside the tackle at times too. Tested pretty well. 282 pounds. So he is definitely more in the heavy edge and could kick inside type of role uh, for a team, but definitely a fit for that style defense, I think. Another guy that, like you said, they don't prioritize the second contract. So, like, if Emmanuel Ogba goes out the door, Oso, uh, eventually at some point, and you know, Oso Digazu is a guy that could back him up and then eventually replace him at some point, whenever if he would ever move on. And so, those are kind of a couple guys that I would say that I would have my eye on that I think could be good fits for the Dolphins at the edge spot slash interior spot. Those are great points. And I'm glad you mentioned Peyton Turner because he gives me two kind of avenues to do kind of follow up questions with you here. And one, I'm curious how you evaluate a player that maybe you think could have been used differently. And I'm not saying that Peyton Turner wasn't used correctly at Houston, but it reminds me of Ed Oliver back at Houston when folks were not thrilled about the fact that he was maybe rushing from the zero technique sometimes. Like when you're on a third down call on defense and he's at the zero technique, maybe that kind of limits his ability there. I know Daniel Jeremiah thinks that Quiddy Pay's usage was awful at Michigan this year. When you consider watching college tape and, and how these guys are used, how much do you have to kind of separate the usage, what he can do compared to what he actually produced and what he did do in college? Yeah, really tough, really difficult. I'm yeah. completely with Daniel Jeremiah on Quidi Pay. He was his usage is really bad, and it's kept me. I said this on a show the other day that I said to the host, I don't know whether Quidi Pay is good or not. I watched a <laughs> lot of games of him of the last two years, and I'm really not sure, you know, what he can be. Um, and yeah, he's a good example of they tried to do just way too much with him too soon. So it depends on the issue too. Like, so with, with the Quiddy Pay, he, they're trying to play him inside. They're playing him head up on the tackle. They're asking him to play in a square stance, which was an issue with Ed Oliver too. So you don't always get the most explosiveness you can get from him. Um, so that's a very much a usage thing with, with a guy like Peyton Turner. It's like, 
okay, I think he can do all these different things. I'm not sure his technique's quite where it needs to be to do all these different things, but I get, I get why they're trying to, to do all these different things with him uh, because he might have that versatility in the NFL where somebody like pay, he just might be an edge rusher. Like that's it. And they're trying to do all this different stuff with him, And it just didn't make sense. It wasn't, wasn't his skill set, wasn't who he was as a player. So you do have to look past that sometimes. Um, I also think it's an excuse sometimes for value. It's like, Oh, I hate the way they use them, but I love the fact that he tested well. Um, and he looks great on the hoof. So I'm going to give him a high grade. Well, usually even if you're used not quite to the best of your ability, you can produce. And so that's where production does matter and does come in for these edge defenders. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit when we get to more of the speed rushing type that could also play maybe off the ball, a, a Calvin Noy type player, but that, that the production matters and what you did on the edge in terms of production in college matters too. So yeah, you figure out where you want to plant your flags on outliers and things like that. But I really do think it starts with looking at those traits. If you have those traits, that's a great place to start. If you have those pass rush athleticism pillars, that's a great place to start. If you didn't produce in college, I need to figure out why you didn't, especially if you have those traits and you didn't produce in college. Why was that the case? Um, that gets tricky for an evaluator, I think. But that's where I start is looking for those really important traits at the position. So Peyton Turner, Quiddy Pay, we cover the idea of if you didn't produce in college, what can you do in the pros? That reminds me of Jason Oway from Penn mm. State. So I want to get your kind of tier ranking here with all these guys and include, you know, Jalen Phillips, Greg Rousseau, all these guys. I want to hear, you know, how you rank them by tier. Like who falls into your first tier of guys that you feel comfortable in the first round of these edge players? And where does that drop off occur where it's like, well, maybe we circle back because there's more value at another position and we can come back mm -hmm. in round two or three and scoop up someone later on. Like where's the tier ranking for you at the edge position? Yeah, it's definitely Jalen Phillips at the top and an edge tier by himself. Now I only rank based on ability on tape, athletic testing yep. and production. You know, I only, that's the only things I use to buy So injuries, I'm not a doctor. He has had injury histories in his past. I don't know. They didn't affect him this past season. He played as far as I know. Anyway, I don't, I just don't know the details. I don't know how many concussions he's had, how serious they are. I mean, I know, I think it's been three that are reported. Um, you know, I, I don't know that his wrist, you know, at UCLA, they were like, Oh, I don't know if you can play with this wrist. That's what I've heard. And then uh, he goes to Miami. It's he's dominant. So I, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to speak to all that because I just don't know the situation. So I don't really talk about injuries and I don't really do the character thing either. There's some questions there with Phillips teams will have to vet all that stuff. I don't know where he's at right now. Uh, and so I don't know the kid well enough to save to those things, but I do know on tape, he's clearly the dominant number one edge rusher in this class. I don't think anyone else belongs in his tier in this class on tape on the field uh, and athletic testing too. He was, he was terrific. Uh, there's some other really athletic guys. You, that next bucket you have really are kind of, there's four upside guys really. And then there's one in Peyton Turner is be, would be the one guy who I, who I was curious what his ceiling was. Now that I've seen his athletic testing, I've got to go back to my grading scale and actually decide where he's going to be right now. He's my edge five, but there's a chance that I can move him up my board for me. In that second tier would be Ojolari from Georgia, away from Penn State, Pay from Michigan, Turner from Houston, and then Joseph Osai from Texas, who, by the way, is somebody we'll probably come back to yeah, in that definitely. Calvin Noy type of role. You mentioned <laughs> Jason away too. Both pretty good fits. But those guys all are like really exciting athletes. Well, away and Pay and Osai tested like unbelievable athletes. We've talked about Turner at length. He's a little bit more of a, of a ready guy. I think he's just pro-ready, ready to go. Um, Ojolari did not test really well, but is the best pass rusher on tape out of all those guys I just said. He has a go-to move with a cross chop, and he's a speed bend type of pass rusher. 
I don't know that he's going to be of great interest to, to Miami, their prototype. He is physical and tough. He's just small uh, for an edge defender. He does have pretty good length. There are some things that you like about him, but he's not the type of player that's going to jump and move in space. He reminds me very much of Yannick Ngakwe. You can like Yannick Ngakwe, but at the end of the day, he is what he is. He's a pass rusher first and foremost. He might not win every snap or win with the dominance of great pass rushers in the NFL, but he'll win enough times to get you 10 sacks a game and he'll get a couple strip sacks in there and that can change a game. That's Ojolari to me, man. Like he, they are such similar players. They aren't really benders in the hips, but they're tilters. They like tilt the edge. They lean into guys and keep that speed while running at an angle. It's pretty impressive stuff. I like Ojolari uh, a good bit, but there are questions too, you know, namely with athleticism, you would have liked to see a lot better testing considering his style of play. Jason away, Joseph Asai. Those are guys that I think I could see being potential. Now it depends where they are coming off the board. I don't think Miami's going to prioritize a guy like that in the first round. So if some team gets crazy and they're like, wow, we want these guys in round one, despite the fact that they hardly produced in college away only had seven sacks and he played in seven games last year and did not have a sack. That's pretty crazy. Travis, like (laughs) we're talking about an edge rusher at Penn state. Like you couldn't get one sack but he's also going to enter the NFL at 21 years old as one of the most athletic human beings in the game, period. That's kind of testing that he did. Um, A lot of people have floated the idea around, what if we played him at tight end? So he's just, he's a special tier athlete. Does he love football? I'm going to have to know that with a way, I'm going to have to know that with Quiddy Pay, and I have to know that with Joseph Asai. They have all the traits that you want. They are extremely exciting athletes. I don't know that you'll see pay drop like you would with away or Osai. I don't know that you'll see him play off the ball at all like you would with those guys. But away and Osai, especially uh, as potential Van Noy types, especially Osai, he played off the ball yeah. at Texas and then all moved to the edge more his last year. But he's a guy that you can move around and probably better as a chess piece move player than he is at any one specific role right now. I saw a, a highlight clip on Twitter this morning of Jason away catching like a 60 yard touchdown pass at tight end in high school. So I think some, uh, some folks go. had that idea back in those days as well. And we'll see what happens with him. He's a, he's definitely an intriguing prospect. And you mentioned a couple of things there, just based on your tier system, I'm sitting here thinking that 36 pick in the draft might be where you look at that edge position for this Dolphins team because of the things you mentioned in terms of the value. And you mentioned, you know, Aziz Ojolari, who I think is a really good player, but like you mentioned, is someone else going to have him higher than Miami might because of the prototype, because of the fits and all that stuff. So that 36, maybe 50th in the draft could be a great spot to come around and scoop up on some of these edge prospects who fall a little bit, maybe because someone else doesn't value them the way that we do. And also, you made a comment, John, about how you don't you don't look at the injury history or the character stuff, which bravo to you for that because there's so many prognoses out there that are taking in incomplete information and applying that. I mean, shoot, Facebook is full of epidemiologists these days, right? So like, you know, that's just how the world works these days. But so right. kudos to you for that. I want to get into a few of these traits that I'm looking at and, and kind of if you've already named a player, go ahead and do it again and repeat it and kind of home and emphasize that. But I want to check off a few of these traits that I think are highly important in this defense. And you can tell me a couple of guys that fit that bill the best. Does that work for you? Yeah, that sounds great. Who do you think has the loosest hips in terms of who has the best lateral side-to-side agility? And I'm talking about the ability to come in and twist and stunt and run all the games this Dolphins defense runs. Who's loose in the hips and has lateral agility like nobody else in this class? 
I think that really does describe Jason away pretty well. I mean, you would have to get the, the things you'd have to get down with away would be the more technical, the timing aspects of it. Those kind of the hands when you're getting through the gap guards leaning over, he catches you and he wants to hit you last second, get that hand ready to ward off a blow. Like those are the things to me you'd have to work on with him. But in terms of speed and change of direction, explosiveness, if you could teach him the timing and the intricacies like that, he is just a re- again like he and Osai would this would qualify for too. Like they are really just great movement players. They just they move at a special level, um, even laterally or or vertically. You know that's kind of uh, how they're built. So both those guys, but Phillips also. I mean Jalen Phillips again for everything you mentioned. I bet Phillips will will be noteworthy. There really isn't any weaknesses in Jalen Phillips' game. I don't think many people expect him to be a Miami Dolphin um, at the end of the day, but I mean, it could happen, I guess, but uh, he would be a, probably a deviation, assuming he's going to go high, I guess yeah. I should say. Um, but yeah, he, he doesn't really have a lot of weaknesses in his game. So most things you mentioned, I bet he'll be pretty high on that list as well. You mentioned looking for pass rushers, but what about who's the guy that you watch at the edge that just does not allow the run game to get going, whether it's on the outside set in the edge or working back inside, who's your favorite run defending edge in this class? A couple different types. So there's like point of attack run defense, which that that was really lacking in this group. You know, there wasn't really a dominant point of attack guy among the top tier guys. Somebody I like later on the board uh, on uh, at that point of attack run defense is Cam Sample from Tulane. What's he going to weigh? How heavy is he going to be? Is he going to be an inside guy in the NFL situationally? I, right now, he's definitely an edge with what he's weighing in at in the two sixties. I think, um, but he is a, he is the definition of playing with leverage and intensity and good hand placement in the trenches. He's just very technically hard to move him at Tulane. He stacked and shed really well. Very physical dude. Um, I really, really, I'm a huge Cam Sample fan. I might be the biggest Cam Sample fan out there. I'm not to say that his ceiling is really high. I just love the way that he plays. I think you're going to, I think he's going to go in the middle rounds and you're going to get a good NFL player. And I, I mean, part of me still likes the assurance of kind of knowing, what you're getting, you know, as much as I get excited about the aways and the size and what they could be at the end of the day, like knowing you're getting a good football player, when you take somebody in round three, I, I really value that too. So um, I like that about Cam sample. Um, then I would say in terms of just their potential as a run defender, uh, Jason away again, he improved his run defense a lot at Penn state this past year. Um, you know, I, part of it's that he has all of these tools in his toolbox, but also he kind of got it technically too. And I was really impressed with that with him. You know, he was really able, he would step down and he would take on polars. Um, you know, he would dip underneath polars and he would recognize concepts. And that growth actually really encouraged me with the way, even though he's very far away as a pass rusher, the fact that a, a whole aspect of his game took this huge leap told me that maybe we've got a quick learner and a guy who can figure things out on the fly. And maybe the next step is his pass rush game. Maybe that's where he improves uh, next. So I, I like those guys, honestly, even though he wasn't, I, I don't know how his projection of the NFL is going to go. You know, Ojolari also played pretty good run defense despite being a smaller guy this past season. I don't know if teams will project him to being a great run defender in the NFL due to his size, but um, on tape, it definitely, he had some impressive moments as well. I love how you're sort of hashing this out live on the air here. Like you have the angel and the devil on your shoulder when it comes to Jason away. And you're kind of like trying to figure out which one you want to listen to more. Cause it's, it sounds super intriguing, but like you mentioned, like what's the finished product going to look like? And do you have the coaching staff to get your hands on them and get them right? That's obviously one of the most important things in this whole process. that I think it's overlooked so often, but let's continue on here. And, you know, I've heard this term from being around the dolphins for the last couple of years, you know, in camp around players and coaches, Heavy hands, be be heavy handed when you're at that position. Who do you watch on tape and say that dude's got some heavy effing hands? 
Oh, Peyton Turner for sure. Yeah. Uh, no question about that. Um, you know, I've kind of talked about him a little bit already. Despite not playing with great leverage, he's able to use that length, lock guys out, and throw people around. BYU is the best offensive line he faced. I always go to the best offensive line, sure. right? There's no reason to mess around. Like, let's watch him against the best. If they can't play against the best, then you watch the other tape, sure. But, you know, there's, there's going to be some level of concern right there if they can't play against the best. And he was really good, I thought, against BYU. And so, um, yeah, he tossed around the right tackle a few times. And one rep, he threw Brady Christensen, who's going to be a probably top 60 pick, top 64 pick uh, in the draft as a chance to be anyway. And he he tossed him around and sacked Zach Wilson. So real heavy hands, very violent. And one of those rare types, I think, that might be able to, just because of his length and physicality, he might not have to play with leverage all the time. He can still get away with it. On the, on the inside, that's hard to do. You have to be a special DeForest Buckner type player to be able to do that on the inside and still be able to be consistently consistent at your position on the outside though, you don't always need that leverage if you have the length and the strength. And he does the other guy I would say in terms of just heavy handedness sample, I'll mention it, throw his name out there again, perfect example of what he is and why I really like him. Um, and the other one, Rashad Weaver from Pitt, uh, really interesting player kind of has the athletic testing of like a bendy smaller guy, but he's just not explosive at anything that he does. Um, it's very steady, but I do think you really need explosiveness to be great in the NFL. He's crafty enough, good enough with his hands, great length, you know, plays good point of attack run defense, never going to be a great space player. Um, but he's, you know, he's the kind of guy that I think will carve out a role for himself in the NFL. If he can stay healthy, that's, that's going to be the big question with Weaver. But I'd say those guys are probably the ones that stand out the most in terms of those traits. John Ledyard, Peter Report here on the Drive Time Podcast, breaking down the edge and defensive line class in this year's draft. This draft coming up later this month, I should say. One more category here for you. You've kind of hinted at it a few times. You've mentioned the name Kyle Van Noy. That's a player that took a lot of reps, did a lot of things in this defense last season, but they're going to have to find a way to replace those reps in 2021. Who is your ideal two-way kind of hybrid guy? I know we talked about Joseph Aside, a guy that played off the ball his first couple of years at Texas. Now he comes down off the edge. I think that's probably an easy one, but you've got to have some more other than Joseph aside. Who are some of your top two-way type of hybrid guys that can give you the edge rushing, but also play off the football? Yeah, I mean, there's it's like the hypothetical for guys like away and aside. Like, I think they could, but you have to teach them. They're not like they didn't like do that necessarily in college. You know, I mentioned Asai a little bit. He did, but Fanoy definitely brought unique things to the table. Uh, the closest guy to that, honestly, might be a linebacker in Zayvon Collins because he edge rushes situationally, which my understanding of Van Noy is, you know, is more like a situational edge rush and then a lot of off-the-ball work, especially coverage. What could he give you? You know, Collins made a lot of plays in coverage this past season. He definitely has a great feel and zone kind of of where to be, and I, I appreciate that about his game. He is like a huge version of Van Noy. I mean, he's like 260 pounds. I mean, he's massive uh, for a linebacker. That's very rare. And he's very smooth. He is fast enough. The biggest question with Collins is he's not physical enough to play on the edge in the NFL. So you have to figure out situationally, can you make him work? And how much do you want to play him on the line of scrimmage? Because if you're on the line of scrimmage, I really need to know that you're explosive in your first couple steps that you are physically like willing to go. I mean, you go to war every snap on the, on the line of scrimmage and linebacker, you might at some point get hit by somebody, you know, or you may make a tackle. You may have to work through a block is more what I'm talking about. Um, you know, and the line of scrimmage, that's every play. I mean, basically every play you've got to do that. So 
does he have that kind of mentality, you know, a player when you're projecting that kind of a role, you know, so the physicality and the, and the explosiveness are big. And I don't think that really describes his game as much. So you have to use him on the edge situationally, I think, but in terms of off the ball stuff. Yeah. I mean, ability to play in space for sure. Zone coverage for sure. Uh, he never may never be the tone setter for your team, which you'd love a six, three, 260 pound linebacker to be the tone setter for your team. So there will be some disappointment that he is not – his physical frame does not match his play style at all. But at the same time, I still think there's a good player in there. If you can get him with one of those second-round picks that you're talking about, I think that's where you, you really kind of could help yourself as a defense. Yeah, I've always wondered, like, why isn't this guy beat blocks more aggressively and just play, like you mentioned, to that size and to that, to that capability that he has in that frame? I don't want to pigeonhole the Dolphins to – drafting by need or by saying a certain position is no longer a need because that's just not how this team operates. But I do think the defensive tackle position right now is probably in good hands. But as the draft approaches, you know that there's always curveballs that come into this thing. So let's go ahead and just touch on the defensive tackle class here real quick. And maybe it is just a day three space eater like a Tyler Shelvin. But even then, I think that's kind of what John Jenkins was brought back for in a one-year contract. So mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure. But John, you just put out your defensive tackle rankings on your on your uh, draft big board. So why don't you go ahead and run through that for us real quick here and talk about maybe some later round values at that position. Yeah, you're probably not going to worry about the, the top guys like Barmore and Uzurike and Nixon. I say top, but I still have questions with all those guys anyway. So the value in this class is perfect for teams that don't need one early. You know, if you if you don't need an impact guy early, you're, you're going to be all right because Later in the class, you're going to get some guys that, that are good like that. Now, my favorite type of guy probably, especially for Miami, I think, would be Marlon tui Pelotu from, uh, from USC. I don't, know why, I don't know what happened, Travis. In 2019, the dude did not wear gloves. He was wearing number 51. He, was, he had no tape on his arms. And the aesthetic matters, man. Like, it matters. <laughs> this year, he switches to number 93. He gets gloves. He tapes up his forearms. He lost the power gut that he had in 2019. I'm not kidding you when I say I stopped the 2020 tape after I watched a couple 2019 games. I stopped the 2020 tape and I had to like check the roster and I kept stopping it and going, is this cannot be the same human being? Like they just didn't even look the same. It was, it's wild. If you get a chance, look at him in 2019 and then just look at him in 2020. His body looks different. It just everything. It was really wild. I, in 2019, I thought he was, borderline undraftable to be honest and then 2020 just a different player more pass rush ability way better usage of his hands more consistent recognized blocking concepts they say he loves the game he's very physical works really hard um so those things you know again you think about what miami values they want character guys right they want guys that are going to grind with the type of players that they get in the trenches and i think he really fits that so to me he's a great fit would not be surprised at all to see him become a miami dolphin um, he can play multiple positions in the D-line. That's the other thing I like. You mentioned a space eater. That's the thing about Miami. Like, they could get any type of guy. You could have a John Jenkins to an Emmanuel Ogba playing inside. Like, <laughs> all types on the interior, man. Like, you think about Belichick's defenses over the years. Uh, you know, Dietrich Wise and Adam Butler or Danny Shelton. Like, you just have every type of player. Um, they just want – I think they want guys who love football, are super physical, and know technically what they're doing. That describes Marlon Tuipolotu. I think to a degree it describes Oso Odigizua. He has to use that length better, the 34-inch arms. But I do think he'll be mostly an interior player in the NFL, and he definitely fits in terms of physicality and aggressiveness. Love for the game. I know that was apparently a question with his brother, Oa Odigizua, when he was in the NFL. But it won't be a question with Oso, I don't think. Um, so as long as teams feel like those boxes are checked, those are the two that I would say for Miami 
that really kind of stand out to me. You know, like you said, there could be a nose tackle late, like a Tyler Shelvin or a Marvin Wilson or even a Tadaryl Slayton from Florida, Kyrus Tonga from BYU. He's already 25 years old. He's going to be 25 years old in a couple of months. So it's like, you know, but late in the draft, if you're just looking to fill a role in your roster for one or two years, those might be the type of guys you target. But in terms of those mid-round types, I think those two guys, Ozo Digizua and Marlon Chui Pelotu, uh, we'll go on the West Coast for two guys from Miami Dolphins. I love you just cranking out extra names there for us at the end to go back and look at here. I also love that you mentioned the aesthetic because one thing that I always harp on when watching tape is like receivers, for instance, please wear different color shoes, wear different sleeves. Give me something that differentiates you because sometimes these guys look the same from that eagle eye in the sky and I can't tell who's who if I don't get your number. So with you on that all the way. John Ledyard, Pewter Report. What are you working on, man? What's coming up there on the website and on the podcast and where can people find you on social? Yeah, you can find me on social at Ledyard NFL Draft. I've always got draft content going up on the sub website like on pewterreport.com. Like you mentioned, my edge defender rankings, my interior defensive line rankings have dropped over the last couple of weeks. You can go to the site and search those and you'll find those pretty easily. Uh, you can you know comment or tweet at me and let me know how much you think they're trash. Um, but those are the places you can mainly find me. And then if you want to listen to the podcast, we do talk bucks, but I had Dane Brugler on the other day. We just talked NFL draft and quarterbacks for a long time. And we talk a lot of draft right now, this time of year too. And I went through the next day on thir- Thursday's podcast on the Peter report podcast, which you can watch on YouTube. And I went through and talked about my D tackle rankings and went in depth more on those guys kind of guys. So we just talk a lot of draft too. Some of it occasionally is geared to the bucks this time of year, but it's a lot of, it's just draft stuff. So you can always check out those things as well, but mainly if you want to ask me questions or get my draft thoughts just in general on a team, you're going to look on Twitter at Ledyard, L-E-D-Y-A-R-D, NFL Draft. Well, thank you so much for your time today, John. We didn't get into this year like we had last year, but the Dolphins are in Tampa this season. So when that schedule comes out, let's uh, let's send some DMs back and forth and, and, and figure out something to link up in Tampa Bay. Sound good? That sounds great to me, man. It'll be, it'll be great to get a show together. Maybe we'll both get a show out of it if we do that. The crossover <laughs> city, baby. I love it. John Ledyard, thank you so much, man. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. And away he goes, John Ledyard, pewterreport.com. We've got a few more of these left to go, including linebackers with Trevor Sykema. We're going to talk to Matt Harmon for the receiver slash tight end preview. And we'll have a running backs preview guest TBD at this point. But plenty of good content coming your way, including some heavy hitters in the draft industry, a great crossover podcast, plenty of stuff coming your way here in the draft preview editions of the Drive Time Podcast, as well as draft coverage when we get to the end of April. It's coming up a couple of weeks away, but until next time, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast, and of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.